Section 16 of Animal Heroes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nemo. Animal Heroes by Ernest Thompson Seton. The Legend of the White Reindeer. 2. Each springtime, when the reindeer passed over Svegum's mill run, as they moved from the lowland woods to the bleaker shores of Utrevan, Tofoskal was there to sing about the white storbuk, which each year became more truly the leader. That first spring he stood little higher than a hare. When he came to drink in the autumn, his back was above the rock where Svegum's stream enters Utrevan. Next year he barely passed under the stunted birch. In the third year, the Foscal, on the painted rock, was looking up, not down at him as he passed. This was the autumn when Rul and Svegum sought the Hoyfeld to round up their half-wild herd and select some of the strongest for the sled. There was but one opinion about the Storbuck. Higher than the others, heavier, white as snow, with a mane that swept the shallow drifts, breasted like a horse, and with horns like a storm-grown oak, he was king of the herd, and might easily be king of the road. There are two kinds of deer-breakers, as there are two kinds of horse-breakers. One that tames and teaches the animal, and gets a spirited, friendly helper. One that aims to break its spirit, and gets only a sullen slave, ever ready to rebel and wreak its hate. Many a lap and many a Norsk has paid with his life for brutality to his reindeer, and Rule's days were shortened by his own pulkren. But Svegum was of a gentler sort. To him fell the training of the white storebook. It was slow, for the book resented all liberties from man as he did from his brothers. But kindness, not fear, was the power that tamed him. And when he'd learned to obey and glory in the sled race, it was a noble sight to see the great white, mild-eyed beast striding down the long snow-stretch of Utrevan, the steam jetting from his nostrils, the snow swirling up before like the curling waves on a steamer's bow, sled driver and deer all dim and flying white then came the yuletide fair with the races on the ice and utrevan for once was gay the sullen hills about re-echoed with merry shouting the reindeer races were first with many a mad mischance for laughter rul himself was there with his swiftest sled deer a tall dark five-year-old in his primest prime, but over-eager, over-brutal, he harried the sullen, splendid slave till in mid-race, just when in a way to win, it turned at a cruel blow, and rule took refuge under the upturned sled, until it had vented its rage against the wood. And so he lost the race, and the winner was the young white storbuck. Then he won the five-mile race around the lake, and for each triumph, Svegum hung a little silver bell on his harness, so that now he ran and won to merry music. 
Then came the horse races. Running races these, the reindeer only trots, and when Balder, the victor horse, received his ribbon and his owner the purse, came Svegum, with all his winnings in his hand, and said, Ho, oh, Lars, thine is a fine horse, but mine is a better storebuck. Let us put our winnings together and race, each his beast for all. A wren against a racehorse. Such a race was never seen till now. Off at the pistol crack they flew. Ho, Balder! Ho, hi, Balder! Away shot the beautiful racer, and the storebook, striding at a slower trot, was left behind. Ho, Balder! Hi, storebook! How the people cheered as the horse went bounding and gaining. But he had left the line at his top speed. The storebooks rose as he flew. Faster! Faster! The pony ceased again. A mile whirled by, the gap began to close. The pony had overspurted at the start, but the storebook was warming to his work, striding evenly, swiftly, faster yet, as Fegum cried in encouragement, Oh, storebuck, good storebuck, or talked to him only with a gentle rein. At the turning point, the pair were neck and neck. Then the pony, though well driven and well shod, slipped on the ice, and thenceforth held back as though in fear so the storebook steamed away. The pony and his driver were far behind when a roar from every human throat in Fielfjeld told that the storebuck had passed the wire and won the race. And yet all this was before the white wren had reached the years of his full strength and speed. Once that day, Rul essayed to drive the storebuck. They set off at a good pace, the white book ready, responsive to the single rein, and his mild eyes veiled by his drooping lashes. But, without any reason, other than the habit of brutality, Rule struck him. In a moment there was a change. The racer's speed was checked. All four legs braced forward till he stood. The drooping lids were raised. The eyes rolled. There was a green light in them now. Three puffs of steam were jetted from each nostril. Rule shouted, then, scenting danger, quickly upset the sled and hid beneath. The storebook turned to charge the sled, sniffing and tossing the snow with his foot. But little Knuta, Svegum's son, ran forward and put his arms around the storebook's neck. Then the fierce look left the reindeer's eye and he suffered the child to lead him quietly back to the starting point. Beware, O oh driver, the reindeer, too, sees red. This was the coming of the white storebuck for the folk of Fielfjell. In the two years that followed, he became famous throughout that country, as Fegum Storebuck, and many a strange exploit was told of him. In twenty minutes he could carry old Sveggum around the six-mile rim of Utrevan. When the snowslide buried all the village of Holaker, it was the storebook that brought the word for help to Olptastrola, and returned again over the forty miles of deep snow in seven hours, to carry brandy, food, and promise of speedy aid. When over-venturesome, young Nuta Svegumpsen 
broke through the new thin ice of Uchivan, his cry for help brought the Storbuck to the rescue, for he was the gentlest of his kind and always ready to come at call. He brought the drowning boy in triumph to the shore, and as they crossed the Vondam stream, there was the troll bird to sing, Good luck, good luck, with a white Storbuck, after which he disappeared for months doubtless dived into some subaqueous cave to feast and revel all winter although sveggum did not believe it was so three how often is the fate of kingdoms given into child hands or even committed to the care of bird or beast a she-wolf nursed the roman empire a wren pecking crumbs on a drumhead aroused the orange army it is said, and ended the Stuart reign in Britain. Little wonder, then, that to a noble reindeer book should be committed the fate of Norway, that the troll on the wheel should have reason in his rhyme. These were troublous times in Scandinavia. Evil men, traitors at heart, were sowing dissension between the brothers Norway and Sweden. Down with the Union, was becoming the popular cry. O oh, unwise peoples, if only you could have been by Sveggum's wheel to hear the troll when he sang. The raven and the lion, they held the beer at bay, but he picked the bones of both when they quarreled by the way. Threats of civil war, of a fight for independence, were heard throughout Norway. Meetings were held more or less secretly, and at each of them was someone with well-filled pockets and glib tongue to enlarge on the country's wrongs and promise assistance from an outside irresistible power as soon as they showed that they meant to strike for freedom. No one openly named the power. That was not necessary. It was everywhere felt and understood. Men who were real patriots began to believe in it. Their country was wronged. Here was one to set her right. Men whose honor was beyond question became secret agents of this power. The state was honeycombed in mine. Society was a tangle of plots. The king was helpless, though his only wish was for the people's welfare. Honest and straightforward, what could he do against this far-reaching machination? The very advisers by his side were corrupted through mistaken patriotism. The idea that they were playing into the hands of the foreigner certainly never entered into the minds of these dupes, at least not those of the rank and file. One or two, tried, selected, and bought by the arch-enemy, knew the real object in view. And the chief of these was Borgrevink, a former landsman of Norlands, a man of unusual gifts, a member of the Stolting, a born leader, he might have been prime minister long ago, but for the distrust inspired by several unprincipled dealings. Soured by what he considered want of appreciation, balk in his ambition, he was a ready tool when the foreign agent sounded him. At first his patriotism had to be sopped, but that necessity disappeared as the game went on. Perhaps he alone, of the whole far-reaching conspiracy, was prepared to strike at the Union for the benefit of the foreigner. 
plans were being perfected army officers being secretly misled and won over by the specious talk of their country's wrongs and each move made by borgrevink more surely the head of it all when a quarrel between himself and the deliverer occurred over the question of recompense wealth untold they were willing to furnish but regal power never the quarrel became more acute borgrevink continued to attend all meetings but was ever more careful to centre all power in himself and even prepared to turn round to the king's party if necessary to further his ambition the betrayal of his followers would purchase his own safety but proofs he must have and he set about getting signatures to a declaration of rights which was simply a veiled confession of treason many of the leaders he had deluded into signing this before the meeting at Lardstolson. here they met in the early winter some twenty of the patriots some of them men of position all of them men of brains and power here in the close and stifling parlour they planned discussed and questioned great hopes were expressed great deeds were forecast in that stove hot room outside against the fence in the winter night was a great white reindeer harnessed to a sled but lying down with his head doubled back on his side as he slept calm unthoughtful ox-like which seemed likelier to decide the nation's fate the earnest thinkers indoors or the ox-like sleeper without which seemed more vital to israel the bearded council in king saul's tent with a light-hearted shepherd-boy hurling stones across the brook at bethlehem at laudstolson it was as before deluded by borgrevink's eloquent plausibility all put their heads in the noose their lives and country in his hands seeing in this treacherous monster a very angel of self-sacrificing patriotism all no not all old Svegum was there he could neither read nor write that was his excuse for not signing he could not read a letter in a book but he could read something of the hearts of men as the meeting broke up he whispered to oxel tonbeck is his own name on that paper and oxel starting at the thought said no then said Svegum, i don't trust that man they ought to know of this at nistuin for there was to be the really important meeting but how to let them know was the riddle borgrevink was going there at once with his fast horses Svegum's eye twinkled as he nodded toward the stoolbook standing tied to the fence borgrevink leapt into his sleigh and went off at speed for he was a man of energy Svegum took the bells from the harness untied the reindeer stepped into the pool he swung the single rein clucked to the storebook and also turned his head toward nistuin the fast horses had a long start but before they had climbed the eastward hill Svegum needs must slack so as not to overtake them he held back till they came to the turn 
above the woods at Maristun. Then he quit the road, and up the river flat he sped the book, a farther way, but the only way to bring them there ahead. Squeak, crack, squeak, crack, squeak, crack. At regular intervals from the great spreading snowshoes of the book, and the steady sough of his breath was like the Nordland as she passes up the Hardungi Fjord. High up, on the smooth road to the left, they could hear the jingle of the horse-bells and the shouting of Borgrovink's driver, who, under orders, was speeding hard for Nistuin. The highway was a short road and smooth, and the river valley was long and rough. But when, in four hours, Borgrovink got to Nistuin, there in the throng was a face that he had just left at Laudstolson. He appeared not to notice, though nothing ever escaped him. At Nistuin, none of the men would sign. Someone had warned them. This was serious, might be fatal at such a critical point. As he thought it over, his suspicions turned more and more to Svegum. The old fool that could not write his name at Laudstolson. But how did he get there before himself? With his speedy horses. There was a dance at Nistuin that night. The dance was necessary to mask the meeting, and during that Borgrevink learned of the swift white wren. The Nistuin trip had failed, thanks to the speed of the white book. Borgrevink must get to Bergen before word of this, or all would be lost. There was only one way to be sure of getting there before anyone else. Possibly, word had already gone from Laudstolson. But even at that, Borgervink could get there and save himself, at the price of all Norway, if need be, provided he went with the white storebook. He would not be denied. He was not the man to give up a point, though it took all the influence he could bring to bear this time to get Old Sveggum's leave. The storebook was quietly sleeping in the corral when Sveggum came to bring him. He rose leisurely, hind legs first, stretched one, then the other, curling his tail tight on his back as he did so, shook the hay from the great antlers as though they were a bunch of twigs, and slowly followed Sveggum at the end of the tight halter. He was so sleepy and slow that Borgervink impatiently gave him a kick and got for response a short snort from the book, and from Svegum an earnest warning, both of which were somewhat scornfully received. The tinkling bells on the harness had been replaced, but Borgervink wanted them removed. He wished to go in silence. Svegum would not be left behind when his favorite wren went forth, so he was given a seat in the horse-sleigh, which was to follow, and the driver thereof received from his master a secret hint to delay. Then, with papers on his person to death doom a multitude of misguided men, with fiendish intentions in his heart, as well as the power to carry them out, and with the fate of Norway in his hands, Borgrevink was made secure in the sled, behind the white storebuck, and sped at dawn on his errand of desolation. 
At the word from Svegum, the white wren set off with a couple of bounds that threw Borgrevink back in the pook. This angered him, but he swallowed his wrath on seeing that it left the horse sleigh behind. He shook the line, shouted, and the pook settled down to a long swinging trot. His broad hoofs clicked double at every stride. His nostrils, out level, puffed steady blasts of steam in the frosty morning as he settled to his pace. The pook's prow cut two long shears of snow that swirled up over man and sled till all were white, and the great ox-eyes of the king wren blazed joyously in the delight of motion, and of conquest too, as the sound of the horse-bells faded far behind. Even masterful Borgervink could not but mark with pleasure the noble creature that had balked him last night, and now was lending its speeds to his purpose, for it was his intention to arrive hours before the horse lay, if possible. Up the rising road they sped as though downhill, and the driver's spirits rose with the exhilarating speed. The snow groaned ceaselessly under the prow of the pulk, and the frosty, creaking under the hoofs of the flying wren was like the gritting of mighty teeth. Then came the level stretch from Nistuin's hill to Dalikarl's, and as they whirled by in the early day, little Carl chanced to peep from a window and got sight of the great white wren in a white pulk with a white driver, just as it is in the stories of the giants, and clapped his hands and cried, Good! Good! But his grandfather, when he caught a glimpse of the white wonder that went without even sound of bells, felt a cold chill in his scalp, and went back to light a candle that he kept at the window till the sun was high, for surely this was the storebook of Jotunheim. But the wren whirled on, and the driver shook the reins and thought only of Bergen. He struck the white steed with the loose end of the rope. The bulk gave three great snorts and three great bounds, then faster went. And, as they passed by Dioskul, where the giant sit on the edge, his head was muffled in scud, which means that a storm is coming. The storebook knew it. He sniffed and eyed the sky with anxious look, and even slacked a little. But Borgervink yelled at the speeding beast, though going yet as none but he could go, and struck him once, twice, and thrice, and harder yet. So the pulk was whirled along like a skiff in a steamer's wake. But there was blood in the storebook's eye now, and Borgervink was hard put to balance the sled. The miles flashed by like roods till Svegum's bridge appeared. The storm wind now was blowing, but there was the troll, whence came he now, none knew, but there he was, hopping on the keystone, and singing of, Norway's fate, Norway's look, of the hiding troll in the riding book. Down the winding highway they came, curving inward as they swung around the corner. At the voice on the bridge, the deer threw back his ears and slackened his pace. Borgrevink, not knowing whence it came, 
struck savagely at the wren. The red light gleamed in those ox-like eyes. He snorted in anger and shook the great horns, but he did not stop to avenge the blow. For him was a vaster vengeance still. He onward sped as before, but from that time Borgovink had lost all control. The one voice that the wren would hear had been left behind. They whirled aside, off the road, before the bridge was reached. The pulk turned over, but righted itself, and Borgovink would have been thrown out and killed, but for the straps. It was not to be so. It seemed rather as though the every curse of Norway had been gathered into the sled for a purpose. Bruised and battered, he reappeared. The troll from the bridge leaped lightly to the storbuck's head and held on to the horns as he danced and sang his ancient song, and a new song, too. Ah, at last, o lucky day, Norway's curse to wipe away. Borgrevink was terrified and furious. He struck harder at the storebook as he bounded over the rougher snow, and vainly tried to control him. He lost his head in fear. He got out his knife at last to strike at the wild book's hamstrings, but a blow from the hoof sent it flying from his hand. Their speed on the road was slow to that they now made, no longer striding at the trot, but bounding madly. Great five-stride bounds, the wretched Borgrevink strapped in the sled, alone and helpless through his own contriving, screaming, cursing, and praying. The storebuck, with bloodshot eyes, madly steaming, careered up the rugged ascent, up to the broken, stormy Hoyfeld, mounting the hills as a petrel mounts the rollers, skimming the flats as a fulmar skims the shore. He followed the trail where his mother had first led his tottering steps. Up from the Von Dom Nook, he followed the old familiar route that he had followed for five years, where the white-ringed reaper flies aside, where the black rock mountains, shining white, come near and block the sky, where the reindeer find their mystery. On, like the little snow-wreath that the storm-wind sends dancing before the storm, on, like a whirlwind, over the shoulder of Sulatind, over the knees of Tohomenba, the giants that sit at the gateway, faster than man or beast could follow, up, up, up and on, and no one saw them go, but a raven that swooped behind, and flew as raven never flew, and the troll, the same old troll that sang by the Von Dam, and now danced and sang between the antlers. Good luck! Good luck for Norway, where the white storbuck comes riding. Over Tvinhau they faded like flying scud on the moorlands, on to the gloomy distance, away toward Jotunheim, the home of the evil spirits, the land of the lasting snow. There every sign and trail 
was wiped away by the drifting storm, and the end of them no man knows. The Norse folk awoke as from a horrid nightmare. Their national ruin was averted. There were no deaths, for there were no proofs, and the tale-bearer's strife was ended. The one earthly sign remaining from that drive is the string of silver bells that Svegum had taken from the storebook's neck. The victory bells, each the record of a triumph won, and when the old man came to understand, he sighed and hung to the string a final bell, the largest of them all. Nothing more was ever seen or heard of the creature who so nearly sold his country, or of the white storebuck who balked him. Yet those who live near Jotunheim say that on stormy nights, when the snow is flying and the wind is raving in the woods, there sometimes passes, at frightful speed, an enormous white reindeer with fiery eyes, drawing a snow-white pulk, in which is a screaming wretch in white, and on the head of the deer, balancing by the horns, is a brown-clad, white-bearded troll, bowing and grinning pleasantly at him, and singing. Of Norway's look, and a white store book, the same, they say, as the one that with prophetic vision sang by Svegums van Damme on a bygone day when the birches wore their springtime hangers, and a great, mild-eye Varshimla came alone to go away with a little white Renskov walking slowly, demurely, by her side. End of section 16 End of Animal Heroes by Ernest Thompson Seton